The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. We put it this way before, but in, in a relay race, there's a point in the race in which a baton is handed off from one trailing runner to the next. And for a few brief moments, both runners are running full speed. Both have their hand on the baton momentarily. And then the leading runner runs with the baton by themselves as the trailing runner releases it, slows down, and just begins to cheer on the next, the next runner. And that's what my, uh, my father gets to do in some measure now. Today is the day that he releases that baton. And a day will come, Lord willing, many years from now, in which I will release that baton to another. Maybe to one of you here this morning. See, the thing is, there are no permanent pastors. We are all um, interim pastors. There's no permanent ministry, no, no permanent ministry or, or missionary or pastor or local church. Yet the kingdom of God and the word of God will endure forever. James 4.14, James says it this way. It's, it's not a super encouraging verse. He says this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Yet for the believer, for the one who is in Christ, we have this incredible gift that even in this mist of an existence, even in this blink of an existence, we can make an eternal impact for the kingdom of God. Your life here and now, brief as it may be, matters and can make a difference. And so the question facing each of us this morning as we look at this passage is, will we use this singular life we've been given to steward all that we have to the glory of God? Will we pour out our life for the glory of God? Will we make it count or will we live small, live for ourselves, shrink back from the calling of God in our lives? I thank God for my father, Bill, who flawed as he is and he'll tell you his flaws and he already has many times he determined to make his life and, and, and will continue to make his life count for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of God. Those of you who have been in this church over the last several years, you know that this has been a day long in the making. This has been a, a three-year transition, and it's a day that I've anticipated for a long time now and looked forward to. But as it got closer and closer to this day, it's been seamless in many ways, and yet I felt more and more the weight of responsibility that I'm sure my, my father has been dealing with. There's a change spiritually taking place today. And I've known this day would come for many years, and I'm so grateful, and, and we ought to all be grateful for the leaders of this church who had the foresight to set this in motion uh, long in advance. But as this week has drawn to today, I have just felt the weight of responsibility more and more, the tremendous responsibility of this task that the Lord has, has given us in this new season of ministry. And I've been singing in, in my own head the lyrics of what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, I'm weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care. Precious Savior, be my refuge. I take my need to you in prayer. And he's been reminding me in response to these kinds of prayers that, that this ministry was never meant to be done by an individual. It was never meant to be done in our own strength. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And there is no doubt in my mind that God has apprehended my heart for this purpose, to be a, a pastor in this church. And he has assured me and he has assured us through his word that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. He is in charge. This is his church. 
And, and the wonder of what God does and what we see in his word is that he uses the weak, he uses the foolish to shame the strong, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And I've begun in, in this week, even as I've begun to shrink, those of you who know me well and who have talked to me this week, everyone's been asking me if I'm okay because I've been just feeling this moment. And I think that's actually a good thing because he's teaching me to rely on his strength and not my own. And, and that's the best place to be because his grace is sufficient for us. And his power is made perfect in weakness. I can tell you, pastoring this church is, is a humbling task. It's incredibly humbling. It has already been and it will continue to be one of the great privileges of my life to serve you. And it is humbling beyond anything I can express to you that you, the King's Chapel, would look to me as a shepherd at all. Unbelievably humbling. This church is my family. Quite literally, this is my family. <laughs> but but I've, I've known this church since I was a small child. When we began this church 28 eight years ago, I remember the prayer meetings that summer leading up to the founding of this church. And, and maybe some of you were there. Was anyone there in those early summer days? Yeah, there's some of you that have been around a long, long time. But you're still young somehow, right? I remember those, those days in a middle school in Fairfax, setting up chairs, unloading our van and, and laying out rugs for the, the nursery or sound equipment, setting it up week after week to, to do a church out of a middle school in Fairfax. And, and so if, as a seven-year-old, I was doing this. Some of you, you think your, your children are not capable yet of serving or contributing in any way. And let me tell you, they are. They're ready to serve. They're ready to jump in and be part of the ministry. But in those early days, I remember the Sunday school classes that, that I sat in as I was taught the word of God by some of the godliest men and women uh, that you'll ever know. I remember one in particular, Molly Waddell, who was my teacher early on, where, uh, who actually was part of the namesake for my own daughter, who just poured her life into these little kids, even though her kids had long since grown. And I just want you to think about the difference, the impact that a Sunday school teacher can make on the life of a child. You that serve our children, whether it's in the children's ministry or with our youth group, you are, whether you know it or not, you are pouring into and raising up the next generation of pastors and missionaries and evangelists and worship leaders. This is what you're doing, and it matters so much. And so if you are someone who at any point in your life, at any point in your life, has, has taught children or teens about the word of God, would you do me a massive favor and, and stand up, stand up right now, if you have taught in Sunday school or youth group or young life. You are changing the world. You are. And the work that you've done and that you continue to do matters. And so we honor God for you. And praise God for you. It may feel like you're just teaching goofy kids how to color, but the, the impact you can make is, is actually tremendous. I got to, to be ministered to by the best youth pastors ever, people like Brian Roberts and Chris Craddock who saw something in me and poured their lives and, and their love into me and, and encouraged me in the gifts that God had given me. I got baptized by my dad in this church in, the, in someone's pool in a backyard. I sat under the teachings of my grandfather here. I actually was looking back just this week at, I have a video of the day my father baptized me and he prayed over me prophetically, something that he could not have possibly known at that time as he's about to dunk an eight-year-old in a pool. He said, uh, he prayed over me and he says, Lord, I know that you have uniquely gifted Mark to preach the word and to share the love of Christ with others. Confront him with that call every day of his life. And he has. 
Yes. I've gotten the tremendous example of my parents, the elders in this church, so many godly men and women who have poured into my life, and I'm forever grateful, especially for my wife, Beth, and my loving children who have walked with me. And listen, do not look to my wife as some kind of like first lady of the church. She has not been called to be co-pastor of this church. But what I can guarantee is that she will pray for you, and she will pray for this church, and she will pray for me. And, and for that, I am grateful, and for that, I will rely on her till the end of my days, God willing. So grateful. But most of all, I am grateful for God. Grateful for God. Uh, uh, giving us my dad for 28 years of flawed but faithful leadership, but also how God has given us this, this new day to look ahead at the new thing that he is doing. Today is a day not to celebrate people. It is a day to celebrate God's faithfulness. This is all about him. All about Jesus. This is God's day. This is, this is God's church, and I believe wholeheartedly that God has great purposes for this church, for the future of this church. Several years ago, I was praying for the church, and I was in, in my kitchen alone, and, and sometimes for, for the leader of anything, you have this responsibility, or it's seeming responsibility, to come up with vision for the organization. And I was asking the Lord, I'm like, Lord, I don't have vision. I don't see the future. I, I don't know what you want for this church, and, and it's, it's too big for me. And as I'm in, in this kitchen talking to my best friend, Jesus, I was asking him to give me vision for this church. And I, I want to lead well, but I didn't know where we were going. And in that moment, not in any kind of dramatic way, but, but just like an image, a flash coming to my mind, what God showed me was, was beyond anything that I could even understand. I, I saw it was as if the borders of heaven were expanding. New islands being raised out of the seas in the new earth to accommodate the lives that would be saved through God's work through this church. His kingdom is expanding. His kingdom will expand and light and life will come to many through the King's Chapel if we will be faithful. Jesus Christ will build his church and what he says as he builds his church is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know our mission as believers. This, this message this morning is that our mission and motivation and, and often churches and organizations will wrestle with what is our mission statement. We know our values to love our Savior, serve our neighbor, teach our people, and reach our world. But our mission is the same. If you are a believer in any church in the entire world, your mission is the same. It has been given us by the mouth of Jesus. He says this in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Not stay, therefore. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God has given us a commission here, a mission to go into the world and to make disciples. And for that reason, our church will, will, will never totally be comfortable, and we shouldn't be. We will have to get really good at goodbyes, as people come into this church and are equipped and then sent out into the mission field, whether it's to your office or your neighborhood or across the world, this is going to be and has been a sending church. We have a mission to fulfill, to go and make disciples. And I believe that God has so much in mind for the King's Chapel, to be a church that is characterized by humble prayer, a church characterized by joyful and united praise, a church mobilized for bold gospel proclamation, and, and a, a church that will make this life count to the glory of God. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want to, to make this life count as a church for the glory of God? 
But here's what God's been impressing on me so strongly, and this should come as no surprise to me. As he builds his kingdom through TKC, as he uses this body, this church for that purpose, he doesn't primarily want our service. He doesn't want our, our acts of great um, piety. He wants our hearts. He wants your love, first and foremost. And if we as a church and as individuals want to be part of a community that expands the kingdom of God, that does this work, it all begins and ends with pursuing one solitary aim. Here we are in Mark chapter 12. There's a, a couple of passages here. Jesus is going to do a variety of teachings. We'll come back to some of them next week. This, this morning did not feel like the Sunday to talk about um, paying taxes to Caesar. We'll come back to that. <laughs> But here's Jesus. It's about 72 hours until he is betrayed and, and murdered. And he's visiting Jerusalem, staying outside of town in Bethany, and then coming in and teaching in the open air of the temple day after day. And he's disputing with his opponents. There are some that are coming to listen and learn, and there are many others who are coming to challenge and, and to push back against what Jesus is teaching. And we'll see that they are so concerned with all this outward holiness, with offerings and behavior and laws and interpretations, until finally just one, one scribe among many religious leaders, one scribe finally asks Jesus the right question. And here we see not only what our mission is, which has been made clear, but our driving motivation. What will motivate this mission? What is the highest priority of our lives as individuals and as a church if we are to live out this mission? It says in Chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And you've heard this before, but listen with fresh ears to how Jesus responds. Jesus responds this way. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. He says, likewise, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus is echoing the voice of his father, thundering on the mountain in Deuteronomy chapter six. Above all else, Jesus says that your one thing, your highest aim, your why in life, the driving motivation behind everything you do ought to be Love for God. He wants you to love him tenderly and out of that love to grow in love for others and in your love toward others to grow in love toward God. Do you love him? Do you love him? We talked about this very recently back in February as we, as we started our priorities series and we will talk about it often. Why? Because Jesus says it's the most important commandment, the most important thing. If we love God, we will pray. If we love God, we won't be able to help but praise him. If we love God, we will have a message to proclaim about his love to others. Do you love him? Does your life reflect affection for God, genuine affection for him? Only a deep and abiding love in God will give us what we need for this mission. Jesus says it this way to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I know we struggle to keep God's commandments and he doesn't say if you become more disciplined, if you start a new morning routine, he says if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But then he says something profound in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says he will not leave us alone in pursuit of this in our own strength. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. What he says is that he has given us his spirit to empower us and to shape us and to change us and to make us into people who love him more and more. You are not alone. But God has offered you intimacy with him. And and the question facing each of us is, is, will we draw near to him? What he says is, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. God wants to draw near to you. Will you draw near to him? Walking in the first commandment is, is our highest priority. And, and I stumble and fall in this every day. Let me tell you, there are so many times when I, I prioritize anything else other than love for God. And yet, he has told us that as we make this our aim, his spirit will help us. God offers us intimacy with him, and you are made for it. You're made for it. So how do we do this? Jesus says that we are, number one, to love God with all our heart. He wants your affection. He wants your affection. Do you feel affection towards God? Do you actually feel affection towards God? For, for some of you, it may simply start with making this statement, even now, silently at your seats, in your own heads, to say this, God, I do love you. I love you. Some of you, that's really hard to say, even in this moment. But say it. Tell him. Father, I love you. And as we seek to love God with our hearts, what that means, we will draw near to anything that stirs our affection for him. What stirs your affection for God? Maybe it's, it's singing his praises. Maybe it's spending time in his word. But think about the, the times in your life in which you've been stirred with profound affection for God. What were you doing at, at those times? Who were you with? What were you thinking about? And as we seek to grow in love for God with all our hearts, we can ask him to change us. Lord, come into my heart. Lord, I genuinely love you and I surrender to you, but you see how far I am from affection towards you all the time. And my desire is to be fully devoted. So maybe you pray, Lord, I want to be fully devoted to you. Not out of guilt, not out of fear. I long for my heart to be stirred with profound affection for you that empowers me to love you with my whole self. Have your way in me, Lord. Change me. What if you prayed this, Lord, make all my other dreams for success, for money, for accomplishment, for esteem, make all of those things pale in comparison with the wonder of loving you. Put that in my heart, Lord. And dwelling daily in his grace, he wants us to love him with all our heart, to have affection toward him. He wants us to love him with all of our mind, not just our affection, but our attention. The best way for you to demonstrate to your children that you love them is to give them your what? Attention. They're desperate for it. And God is not desperate. He doesn't need anything from us, but he delights in us as his children. And he desires for us to love him with all our mind, which means to love him with even our attention. What you put in your mind can either enhance or diminish your view of God and your ability to feel and respond to the love of God. So are you spending time in his word? What are you filling your mind daily with? What are the things that that distract you and rob your attention from he who is worthy of it? What are you aligning your thinking with? There are many things to align your thinking with, whether it's, it's whatever's coming through your news or your social media or, or, or whatever you like to wind it down to. There are, are constant voices, spiritual voices that would seek to influence us and we have a choice to make. Will we love God with our mind as we draw near to him? Will we love God thirdly with all our strength? This is not our, our affection or attention as much as it is our action. I know we just said that God desires mercy more than sacrifice. And yet, one of the best ways for us to grow in love for God is to act in love toward God, to do loving actions for him. So that's using your time and your talent and your treasures to bless him and to build his kingdom. 
Are you young? Any of you? Some of you are young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. If you're young, you have strength to give to the Lord, strength to love the Lord with. That might be your time, your availability, your actual physical strength. You have something to give to the Lord. And, and I talk to college students all the time who say that they just don't have time for anything and they're completely overwhelmed. It's not true. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely not true. You, especially if you're single, have more time and capacity and ability to contribute to the kingdom of God than just about anyone I know. So will you use it? Will you use that strength for building his kingdom? Some of you, uh, you're not in that season of life anymore, but as you mature, your strength becomes something altogether different. Your strength may come from knowledge. It may come from wisdom that you've acquired over time. It might come from the abilities that you, you now have through training and years of experience. It might come through the material resources that God has blessed you with. Will you love him with all your strength, even in this, this later season of your life? I, I'm excited to see what, what my dad does in his next season of ministry. He's not done. He's going to run at least one more long lap really hard for the sake of the gospel and the sake of God's kingdom, and so can you. I think of this church building that we're in. Look at it. Isn't this a beautiful building? Like, God has been so good to us in every way. This is a beautiful building, and this building was primarily constructed by a man named Gene Heck. And Gene Heck, between the ages of maybe 70 and 80, he ran harder after the Lord than, than probably in the previous three decades combined. That's the truth. And he built this building. And not only did he build this building, but, but when I first felt a call to ministry after college, actually, that wasn't when I first felt a call to ministry, but when I first had, had the opportunity to be in any kind of vocational ministry, the church here essentially said, Mark, we love you, but we don't have any money for you. We don't have the ability to bring you on. There's nothing here for you. And so Gene Heck, who was a, a godly man, full of flaws, but what he would do is, is every few weeks, he would tell me, Mark, I believe that God has called you to ministry. I want you to continue to serve and minister to our young adults, and, and I'm going to help you with that. And he would give me a handshake. And in that handshake, there would often be a, a wad of several hundred dollars in his hand. And he would just encourage me in that to continue in this ministry that the Lord had placed on my heart. And, and man, I miss those handshakes. <laughs> I miss Gene even more. I, I saw him pour out his physical strength, and when he didn't have physical strength to give to building the kingdom anymore, he had other strength, and he, he invested that other strength in me, and I'm sure in others. If he was doing that for me, I'm sure he was doing that for others. You too. Some of you have a massive ability to make an impact beyond anything you can, you can comprehend. Will you do it? Will you live bigger for the sake of God's kingdom? Will you give more for the sake of his kingdom? You can. Will you love him with your strength? Lastly, will you love God with all your soul? I call this one alignment. We love God with all our soul when we realign our identity to what he has done for us and who he declares us to be. Some of us define ourselves by our successes, our accomplishments. Uh, these are all the things I've done. These are all the, the letters after my name in my uh, email signature. This is who I am. Or maybe we define ourselves by our failures. I'll never be good enough. I'll never live up to anyone's expectations. I keep falling down in sin. But when we love God with all our soul, we realign our identity, the core of who we are to who he declares us to be. He says that I love you so much that I would send my only begotten son to die in your place on the cross to forgive your sins and to welcome you into eternal fellowship with me. That's how I feel about you. That's who you are to him. You are his precious sons and daughters if you are in Christ. Your identity doesn't lie in what you've done. 
against him or what you've done for him anymore. It lies in who he says you are and the identity he has bought you. We just sang this song, two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value is fixed. My ransom is paid at the cross. Uh, this week, the, the body of Christ uh, lost Timothy Keller. He went to be with the Lord. And if you know Tim Keller, he's, uh, he's been a very influential preacher in the Christian world for a long, long time. And he's, he's uh, famous for his concise ways of explaining the gospel. And he's, he says it often this way, or said it often this way, that in ourselves, we are more broken, we are, are, are more um, lost than we could ever imagine. And yet in Christ, we are more loved than we could ever dare hope. That's who you are. He has rescued you from the domain of darkness. He has brought you into his glorious light. And so this week, I ask you to consider, where's your heart and your mind and your strength and your soul in relation to God? Do you love him with heart, mind, soul, and strength? Just this week, I stumbled on something I wrote in an old notebook. It said, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, enable me to love you with my whole heart. And this was my confession then, and it often still is now. Too often, my mind and my strength are yours, but my heart is distant. What is it for you this morning? Where is it that you're sensing that, that God desires for you to be an intimate, loving relationship with him and you are holding him at a distance? Will you lay those things down? Will you turn to his loving arms? Will you draw near to your loving savior? Will you seek him first? Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one and there's no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus looks at him and with perhaps a smile beginning to come on his face, he says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus says something profound to this curious scribe. He says, because you know that it's not all about sacrifice and service, because you know that God is after a love relationship with you, you are not far from his kingdom. And that verse is so encouraging for us as a church because as we draw near to him and love for him, we know that we are nearer and nearer to his intent in building his kingdom. And yet, that statement by Jesus is also haunting in a way. It's haunting because in it, you hear this appeal. You are so close. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are so close. You can hear in it the appeal of Jesus. Come a little closer. Come closer. Come into my kingdom. You're almost there. See, the kingdom of God is not far off. The gospel of grace, it's not far off. God offers immediate forgiveness of sins to those that would turn to him. Just this week, I heard from a friend of mine who, who ministers to Muslims. He tries to reach Muslims throughout the United States with the gospel. And we have sometimes this idea that certain groups of people are really difficult to reach. And he said, no, 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 no. There's only two categories of people. There are those that are alive in Christ and those that are dead in sin. And, and each person that is dead in sin is only one encounter with the gospel away from life eternal in Christ. Just one. That could be through you. Just one encounter away. You've come so close. Maybe that's you this morning. You've come so close to the kingdom of God and yet you're holding back, you're procrastinating, I'll get to it one day. No, today is the day. Step into resurrection life. 
Believe in him for what he's done for you and receive that gift of eternal life. Maybe it's not procrastination. You just are too in love with this world. And I can tell you there is nothing better, nothing better than life in Christ. Try it. Enter in, invite him into your life. Receive the salvation and the forgiveness of sins that he offers. Become part of his kingdom. Go from being near the kingdom to in the kingdom. Because I can tell you, his kingdom will never end. And in God's kingdom, sin reigns no more. Death isn't final. Our loving Savior rules forever. And there, there is love without goodbyes. And we, as followers of Christ, we get to build that kingdom here. We get to join in that kingdom work as we yield to him in loving devotion. Let's pray and, and the band can come up. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this day. Lord, it is uh, your day. You have been faithful. You have been gracious. You are so, so good. Lord, we thank you uh, for the testimony of, of all those that stood up here today about my father and his faithfulness. Bless him in his next ministry. Lord, bless him in this next season of life. And Lord, bless this church. Let us authentically draw near to you in love. Let us stop trying to do anything in our own strength and instead rely on the strength that you provide in abundance by your spirit. And Lord, if there is anyone here that does not yet know you, is not part of your kingdom, if there is anyone here who is near the kingdom, Lord, I pray that today would be the day they step through that, that, that line, step over that line and receive the salvation that you offer. If you want your life to be given to Christ right now, if you want to come into the kingdom, simply say, have mercy on me, a sinner, Lord. I see my sin, I see my brokenness, and, and right now I invite you, God, to come in. I believe in you as my only Savior and that what you did on the cross was enough to save me from my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave. Lord, come into my life. Grant me this resurrection life that you offer freely. Lord, I, I pray for many to come to faith in you and that you would do that work through this church more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.